Luke chapter number 22 tonight, Luke chapter number 22, and I want you to look with me at verse number 54, and I hate to stand you back up, but I'm gonna, amen, and uh, just if you would, if you're physically able, would you stand for the respect and reading of God's word, I, I just always think that that's, and I, by the way, I really got that, um, I got that when I was in Bible college, but I especially got it here, I love that pastor does that. Amen. It's, it's just a, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 138, 2, thou hast magnified thy word above thine own name. You know what that means? The, by the, how many of you think the name of God is holy? How many of you think of the name of God is the third commandment? Huh? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Uh, we're saved by the name of Jesus. There's none other name by which we should be saved. Amen. You know what God says about that? All of that's true. But he says, my word, even more. He magnified it above his own name. And so I think it's proper to stand for the reading of the word of God and to give attention. Nothing bothers me more in a church service. I'm telling you, when we get up to read the word of God and people are, uh, I'm telling you, I stop. Pastor, I just, I'm, I'm mean. I'm a lot meaner than you are, amen. I just stop, look at them, wait, and then go back to the text, amen. <laughs> Boy, amen. So consequently, we just don't have any visitors in our church anymore. Oh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I was like, I was trying to find it on my Bible app, amen. <laughs> Luke chapter number 22, verses 54 through 62. And I want to preach to you a message tonight called the agony of defeat. The agony of defeat. Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. And I'll tell you what, let's read responsibly, but let's read the even-numbered verses together, and then I'll read the odd-numbered verses, okay? So we'll read the even-numbered verses, I'll read the odd-numbered verses. So we'll begin in verse 54, let's begin together. Then took they him, and led him, and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, In about the space of one hour, after another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest, and immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. How many of you are familiar with the name Vinko Bogatai. Now, no cheating. Don't start scrolling on your phones, okay? No cheating. 
Right away, when I mentioned the term Vinko Bogatai, did anybody say, oh, I know who that is. I know who that is. Okay. You know him, but you don't know that you know him. How's that? He was born in 1948 in Yugoslavia, which, of course, now is Slovenia. He was a ski jumper for Yugoslavia, on, and on March 7, 1970, at an event in Osterdorf, Germany, he came down the ramp for his third jump of the day. The snow became heavy. He attempted to stop his jump, but fell off the ramp completely careening out of control and hitting a retaining fence near the spectators. He ended up breaking his ankle and receiving a concussion. And thankfully, soon thereafter, he retired from ski jumping. He coached ski jumping later, was a forklift operator, and is a painter. A very simple, average life that Mr. Bogatai lived, right? as he's married with two daughters. And, but that day, March 7th, 1970, the American Broadcasting Company in their new show called Wide World of Sports had a camera there that day in Osterdorf, Germany. They had a camera crew that was there for the, their nine-year-old show. And for the remainder of that show's run through 1998, Vinko Bogatai's tumble was featured every Saturday in America during the introduction of ABC's Wide World of Sports. You, listen, you remember, I can hear Jim McKay's high pitched, nasally voice spanning the globe to, to, to bring you the constant variety of sports. The thrill of victory. And then you'd see him coming down. And the what? The agony of defeat. You remember that. I remember it, Brother Ron, like it was yesterday. Uh, seeing that. And they, they used all kinds of uh, different groups for uh, the thrill of victory. I remember they used the 1980 Olympic team. They, the, the, the hockey team, they had them uh, when they won. I remember when they had the 1983 Kirkland, Washington Little League team who finally defeated Taiwan. The thrill of victory, but pastor, every year, year after year after year after year, from 1970 to 1998, the agony of defeat was Vinko Bogatai. Agony of defeat. I want you to look at verses 61 and 62 tonight. Look at them with me. It says... And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. Verse 62, church says, And Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, I, I think Peter here could certainly be associated with the agony of defeat. Huh? He could. Oh, the context of the events here in our text, and we didn't get to read the entire text tonight, just not time to do that, but of course were the events of the final days before Jesus' crucifixion. You have in verses 1 through 6 the betrayal of Judas. 
Verses 7 through 23, you have the last Passover and the institution of the Lord's Supper. Verse 24 through 30, very interesting, the strife and sermon about true greatness. Great text, Pastor, amen. Oh, I want to I sit beside you on the, the right hand in your coming kingdom. And Jesus said, whosoever shall be greatest among you, let him be your servant. Amen. And then there's the warning of Peter. Jesus warns him about what's going to happen. And, and you remember what Peter did, and we'll talk about it a little bit. He said, listen, though all men betray you, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. And then we have the Savior's grief in Gethsemane when he went a little further, ladies and gentlemen. And he, I believe, had the sins of the world upon him. And he began to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And we had the kiss of betrayal by Judas, didn't we? Did you ever wonder about that kiss? I have many times. Brother Butler, I've come to the conclusion that the reason he said to those soldiers, the one I kiss, that's him, was because Jesus looked like any other ordinary Jewish man. He did not have a sunbeam around him all the time. He didn't have flocks of birds landing on his shoulders and... No, he was just, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, he hath no form nor comeliness, and there is no beauty that we should desire him. Nothing special about the look of Jesus. And so, so, so they didn't get him confused. Judas went up to him and he kissed him right on the cheek. And then, of course, in our text, what we read, we read what we know of as the denial of Peter. I want to look at some things about Peter and about this subject of the agony of defeat, before we're too tough on Peter, we maybe get a little introspective about ourselves. Go back with me, if you would. You're in Luke 22, but jump back to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I want to bounce around a little bit tonight. And I don't mean just to get my water, amen. I mean through the Bible, amen. We're still a Bible-preaching church, right? So you got your Bible with you tonight? Amen. You bring a fork to the dinner table, don't you? No, it's already there when I get there. Well, leave your Bible here then. That's fine. Amen. Make sure you got another one at home you can read. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Chapter 5 of Luke, verse number 10. I want you to notice number 1 tonight, the decisive disciple, self-subdued. The decisive disciple, self-subdued. It says in verse number 10, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, this was after the great drop that Jesus uh, put into Peter. And by the way, Peter only cast down his net. He should have cast down his nets, and then his net wouldn't have been breaking. Amen. But it says there, They forsook all... And followed him. This is who we're talking about tonight. The one we read in that text who pastor went out and wept bitterly. There was a time in his life where he was the decisive disciple. Self-subdued. This business owner forsook all and followed the Lord. Jesus called and Peter and the others. Peter and Andrew and James and John responded. The decisive disciple, self-subdued. Secondly, Matthew chapter 14. We'll come back to Luke 
but Matthew chapter 14. I want you to look at not only the decisive disciple, Peter, self-subdued. I want you to look at the dependent disciple, self-surrendered. Self-surrendered. Not only self-subdued, but self-surrendered. Chapter 14, verse 27, please. It says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Where did he say that from? On the water. In the storm, right? He's walking upon the waves. And pastor, I'm sorry, I don't think it was this. I think it was up and down the waves. Big storm. Be of good cheer, it is I. And Peter answered him and said, don't you love Peter? I love Peter. If there's a disciple that I identify with most, it's Peter. Usually because he's putting his foot in his mouth like I do, Amen. But here's not one of those times. Lord, there's a little doubt here, Pastor. If it be thou. I think it's you. Somebody said faith is just a little bit more faith than your doubts. I like that, amen? What did, the, what did that man with the, the demoniac son say? Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come, come on. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. We always, I think we always think of it as like a rowboat. You know, he just took one step and he was out. I don't think so, Pastor. He had to climb down. Right? Climb down the ladder. And all the other guys are probably doing this. Right? Did we put a life raft down there? Is there a dinghy down there? I don't, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, he started doing this. Right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's just such a great text. Listen, the dependent disciple self-surrendered. You say, yeah, but if you read the rest, Pastor, it said, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sing, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Yeah, but he took more steps on the water than you did. And he took more steps on the water than the other 11 that were in the boat going, did you see that? How come I didn't ask him that, amen? I should have asked him that. No, you shouldn't. I should have. Next thing you know, they're going back and forth about who's the greatest, Amen. We see the decisive disciple, self-subdued. Jesus was Lord, amen. We see the dependent disciple, self-surrendered, trusting Jesus, amen. Number three, back to Luke 22. Back to Luke 22. Look at verses 31 and 32, please. Decisive disciple, self-subdued. Dependent disciple, self-surrendered. Verses 31 and 32 of Luke chapter 22. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen my brethren. You know what I see the 
here I see, if you jump back to verse number 24, which is where the strife was, a strife among them about who should be accounted the greatest. You know what I see here? I see the determined disciple. Self-confidence. If Peter thought, I, I, can, I can take the devil. I can take him on. And what we see here is we see the determined disciple. He was self-confident. He was perhaps maybe resentful at the Lord's lack of trust. And he spake, and, and again, Peter, Peter meant what he said. Here he's the, that determined disciple. He, he said, I, look, I could take him on myself. And Jesus said, no, no, I prayed for you. Satan hath desired to have thee. But I prayed for you. Now strengthen thy brethren when thou art converted. There's a determined disciple, self-confident. Dependent disciple, self-surrendered. Decisive disciple, self-subdued. Number four, look at verse 50. Verse 50. Here we have, it says, And one of them, smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Verse 51 says, And Jesus answered, Suffer ye thus far. And by the way, isn't it interesting how Dr. Luke is the only one to record this next part. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Well, that, Pastor, that sure would, that sure would uh, impress a doctor. <laughs> to see, see somebody's ear on the ground and just put it right back on. Heal it. Well, this incident, you say, well, well, who was it? Who was it that, that lobbed this guy's ear off? You know, who was it as they came to, to take Jesus that, that took out a sword and drew it? John 18, 10 and 11 tells you. I'll read it to you. You don't have to go there. It said, and then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. What do, you, what do you see here, Pastor, about, about Peter? I see the devoted disciple self-willed. Devoted disciple. He was devoted to the Lord, but is this what the Lord wanted? No. Hey, what if Peter had his way? Every one of those Roman soldiers would be laying there run through. And there, then where would we be? Right? Devoted disciple. Self-willed. Listen. Peter, when Peter said, though all men deny you, I'll never deny you. Brother Ray, this is proof that he meant what he said. He wasn't, listen, he just, forgive me, he wasn't just blowing hot air when he said that. He meant it. He said here, and, and, you know, the Bible talks about us, let us not love in word only, but in deed also. And here's Peter, in his own self-willed way, trying to show his love and devotion to the Lord. But just like us, many of times, in his devotion, he acted rashly, didn't he? Yeah. The devoted disciple, self-willed, the determined disciple, self-confident. The dependent disciple, self-surrendered. The decisive disciple, self-subdued. Number five, the denying 
disciple. Self-preserving. This is a sad part of the story. Sad part of the story, verse 54. Of course, it says, And they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, were set down together. Peter sat down among them. Boy, you could take those two verses and preach a series of sermons on them. Following Jesus afar off and sitting down by the devil's fire with the wrong companions. Well, what happened there, verse 56, a certain maid beheld him and sat by the fire. And I like this in this text, it says, in earnestly looking upon him, she, she wanted to make sure. Is that really him? I think I saw that guy before with Jesus. And then he said, it says, she earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. And he denied it saying, woman, I know him not. And after a while, Another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. In about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed of a truth, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And then, of course, the cock crew, the rooster crowed. Peter was given three tests, wasn't he? Three opportunities to stand up, stand up for Jesus. And Brother Ronnie failed all three tests. So let's not be too hard on Peter. You ever given a chance to stand up for Jesus and you didn't? Can I tell you, the, can I tell you why you didn't? Self-preservation. Whether it was you said, I didn't want to lose my job or I didn't want to do this, or I didn't want to do this. Self-preservation. I heard somebody say, if you stick two people in a room and put guns to the heads of their families, you will find the law of self-preservation. Pretty terrible to think about that, isn't it? By the way, I was reading something the other day about early Christianity, and they said the best advertisement for Christians was martyrdom. That they just said, look, I love my Lord. You can put an animal skin on me and throw me in the Colosseum and let the animals rip me apart. I love my Lord. I'm not going to take a pinch of Caesar's incense. Here, Peter was the denying disciple, wasn't he? Self-preserving. The devoted disciple, self-willed. The determined disciple, self-confident. The dependent disciple, self-surrendered. The decisive disciple, self-subdued. Number six, verse 62, look at it. And Peter went out and what? Wept bitterly. You know what we say here? We see the defeated disciple, self-degrading. Did you ever fail God and all God's people said? <laughs> well, that's a loaded question. Did you ever fail him at the worst possible time? I have. Man, I feel about this big. Never forget a dear friend of mine, Pastor Schott. Knew him when he was here in New England, Brother Steve Teske, my dear friend. Went home to heaven early, took his own life. Pastor, 
a good pastor, Pastor Shot, a good pastor. Just he always had more compassion than I did. I always envied him for that, you know, not in a covetous kind of way, just, boy, he's just so full of compassion. We're in Bible college, and Brother Teske was a, a manager of a, I don't think it was marketing force care, but one of those, the other one, remember the other one there, not BSI or marketing force, the other one. And there was three telemarketing places where a lot of us college students worked, and he was a supervisor, and, and uh, boy, Brother Steve absolutely lost his temper and lost his testimony in front of a crew of lost people. And he just, I remember he was, Brother Ray, he was so crushed. He was so, how could I do that? How could I? All these people, they're lost, and they're, they're going to go to hell now because of me and my terrible testimony as a, as a Christian. I remember just talking with him. I said, bro, listen, listen. You can, you can make things right. It, it, it'd be okay. You, I think you'll probably be able to show them that a Christian's a human being just like anybody else, amen? And, but boy, he just felt like he, he let God down at the worst possible time. I've been there. You ever been there? You had a chance to, and not only, not only did you not stand for the Lord, but you blew it. Boy, here's Peter. Amen? Here he is, defeated disciple, self-degrading. And by the way, after we fail like that, boy, doesn't the devil love to put his thumb right in the wound and grind it? Hmm? A little salt. Oh, you're some kind of Christian. Oh, you just fail God all the time. But you know what I love? Go over to John chapter 21. And I'm going to give you some applications tonight. I just, I've given you just kind of a biography of Peter tonight. The decisive disciple, self-subdued. The dependent disciple, self-surrendered. The determined disciple, self-confident. The devoted disciple, self-willed. The denying disciple, self-preserving. The defeated disciple, self-degrading. Chapter 21. Let me just read a good portion of this chapter, and it kind of explains itself, and I'll make some comments as I go here. It says, After these things... And that was the fact that Jesus showed himself alive to Thomas and the other disciples after he'd been dead. And he walked into a room where the doors were shut. And he told old Thomas, go ahead and put your, put your fingers in the nail prints. And put your hand in my side. And be not faithless, but believe. And Thomas fell down and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and have yet believed. What a, what a moment that must have been. But you know what happens in chapter 21? About to find out. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed himself. So it goes to tell us the account. Jesus is going to show himself alive again to his disciples, in case there was any that didn't believe it. But what happened after the Thomas incident? About the, the Bible says there, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that's John and James, 
and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Simon was not going out to catch a mess of bass. Hmm? Simon wasn't going deep sea fishing for tuna. Simon said, I'm quitting the ministry. He's gone. I got to get back to my old business. And I want to tell you, this is not in the notes. Nobody ever quits on God alone. Because according to this, there was seven that said, we're going with you. We're going with you. Disciples, Brother Ron, who had just seen him alive. And one of them was Thomas, my Lord and my God. Quitting the ministry. So what happens? Verse number four. Well, verse, I, I, let's finish verse 3. I love the end of verse 3. It's so good. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. I wonder if Jesus just said to the fish, you know, here they are, they're, 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 they're throwing those nets down. Jesus just said to the fish, just, just hide over there in that corner. Just, or Jimmy just went, amen, all the fish over there. Yes, sir. Amen, we're waiting. Waiting for orders, waiting for instructions, Amen. But when the morning was not... Now, by the way, these were experienced fishermen. They knew how to fish. But when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then, said, then Jesus said to them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No! And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find... I don't know if it's in the original Greek or not, Pastor. Then he told the fish, come on out, boys. Come on out. Amen. Go ahead. Get in that net. Just, just, just get right in there. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, anytime you see that term, it's John. He's talking about John. Say it to Peter. It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. He just jumped in the water. Maybe he was expecting to walk again, Brother Ray. I don't know, amen. But this time he just plunked down in the water. After he quit on God, he plunked himself in the water and, and swam to shore, and the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon in bread. I'm, I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. And Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. I have, a, I have a thing, these must have been some big fish. 153 of them, big ones, okay? Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth and fish likewise. You wonder, Pastor, if he, they saw the nail prints when he gave the bread and the, and the fish. 
Maybe if they remembered on, on that hill when Jesus fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes, same hands. It goes on and says, now this is the third time that Jesus showed himself alive to his disciples after that he's risen from the dead. Why? Because they're just like us, hard-headed. Huh? Amen? So when they had dined, Jesus saith to who? Simon Peter. The decisive disciple, the dependent disciple, the determined disciple, the devoted disciple, the denying disciple, the, when we last left him, the defeated disciple, right? The one who quit the ministry, right? Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? It's an interesting statement, Pastor. I don't know if you've ever preached on the these before. There's a lot of spectrum. What's the these? Is it... Is it the fish that they just ate, the food they just had? Is it the disciples? What was Jesus saying? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It says, He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said, saith unto him, Feed my lambs. That's where a lot of people think he meant the disciples. He saith unto him, verse 16, what's the next word, church? Okay. He saith unto him again. John 21, 16. He saith unto him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. You know, I see just last, last point, and then we'll get some applications here. Yes, he was a decisive disciple and a dependent disciple and a determined disciple and devoted disciple, denying disciple, defeated disciple. But you know what, Pastor? He was, a de he was a dear disciple. He was a dear disciple. And you know what we see in the self? We have all the selves in there. Self-subdued, self-surrendered, self-confident, self-willed, self-preserving, self-degraded. You know what we see here? Self-judgment. Self-judgment. One of the great privileges that we have. Why did Jesus ask him three times if he loved him? Because maybe his love was a little cold because he just quit the ministry. And it took three times for Peter to realize it. Huh. Huh. Self-judgment. You know, I like, I, I don't... I don't like everything he's written, Pastor, but one of the things that old Zig Ziglar said was, failure is an event, not a person. I like that. You ever been called a failure? That's just an event. That's not who you are. You know how many times Abraham Lincoln failed before he was elected president? About every time. <laughs> every time he ran for some kind of office. I think 14 times. I Don't quote me on that. Be wrong. You ought to read that sometimes. You know, failed for, you know, failed for councilman, failed for 
uh, uh, congressman, failed for Senate, failed, 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 elected president. Failure's an event, not a person. Applications. Let me give you some applications tonight about the agony of defeat in our lives. And I think just by way of feeling out the congregation a little bit, I think each one of us in our lives at some point has felt the sting of the agony of defeat. Letting the Lord down. This is a revival meeting. You know what the best thing about revival meeting is? When people get honest with God and themselves. Until then, we can't have revival. Can't have it personally, can't have it corporately. We've got to get honest with ourselves and honest with God. Number one, application. Long points if you want to write them down. One thing I learned about Peter in the agony of defeat is good intentions do not always produce good endings. Good intentions do not always produce good endings. Peter intended to never deny the Lord. Is that how it ended up? No. And, and listen, you've heard it said, it's been said more often, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. One good deed is worth a million good intentions, right? Good intentions do not always produce good endings. Let me tell you something else I learned in this, this story of, of Peter in the agony of defeat. The battle is spiritual. The battle is spiritual. You know what Jesus said to Peter before he denied him? As he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember what Peter said, or what Jesus said to Peter? It's found in Matthew chapter 26 in verse 41. He said to the Bible says in verse 40, And he cometh unto the disciples, and finding them, and finding them asleep, saith to Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what that tells me, Pastor? This is a spiritual battle that we're engaged in. This, this battle, which so many times we bear the sting of the agony of defeat, it's because it's a spiritual battle. And sometimes we're trying to fight with carnal weapons. I think maybe Jesus was trying to tell Peter after he lobbed off Malchus's ear and he healed it, listen, you can't fight the devil with a sword. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The battle is spiritual. Remember that. Remember that. Remember that good intentions do not always produce good endings. Oh boy. Beware of self-confidence versus Savior confidence. Give me an example of self-confidence versus Savior confidence. Peter's the ultimate example. Though all men betray you, Lord, I'll never betray you. And again, he meant it. He lobbed off the guy's ear. Brother Dale, he meant it. But did it turn out that way? No, it didn't. Do you know an example of Savior confidence? The little book of Jude, Pastor, I tell you, I loved 
teaching through the book of Jude. I loved it. I, I want to do it again. I'm gonna go, I want to go through it again and uh, polish up. And, uh, but verse 9 talks about, in Jude 9, it talks about the, the, the burial of Moses. Somewhere on Mount Nebo, God was there. Michael the archangel was there, the only one in the Bible called an archangel. I've heard a lot of people through the years say, oh, Michael's an archangel, and Lucifer's an archangel, and Gabriel's an archangel. They may very well be, but only Michael is called an archangel. He's the only one. This powerful angel in charge of heaven's armies, when the devil, when they, he contended with Satan himself about the body of Moses. And wouldn't Satan have loved to steal that and hold it up for a trophy and have people worship it all these years? You know what the Bible says, Pastor? It says that Michael the archangel durst not bring a railing accusation against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. You know what that was, Brother Daniel? Save your confidence. Do, you, do I think Michael could have take, take the devil? I think he probably could. He's the archangel in charge of heaven's armies. Pretty powerful. You know, one angel smote 185,000 Midianites one time in the Bible. But he didn't. He didn't have any confidence in himself. He had his confidence in the Savior. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we need during this battle of the flesh and the spirit. We can't depend on our own self. When you say, God, I need your help. I need your help with this. I'm struggling with this. I don't want to let you down, God. I want to. Listen, I'm trying to do this in my own strength. You know what our strength is? Like a thimble full of water. You know what God's strength is? Like the Atlantic Ocean. Beware of self-confidence versus Savior confidence. The battle is spiritual. Good intentions don't always produce good endings. Well, I'll tell you what, here's one. When we follow at a distance, we become cold. Oh, it's so simple in the text. Chapter 22, the Bible says, and Peter followed afar off. He was watching. Then what did he do? kindled a fire, and he sat himself down right next to that fire. You know, when we follow Jesus afar off, we get cold. That's why we have revival meetings. Just to be honest with ourselves and honest with God, we follow him afar off, we get cold. We get cold. Not even lukewarm, Pastor, cold. Cold. Because love, uh, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 12. We follow afar off, we start partaking of sins we used to be against. Hmm? We start skipping church, we stop carrying gospel tracts, don't, definitely don't come out for visitation, none of that stuff. We just follow far off and you know what? We get cold. That heartbeat of compassion that is the Lord's just not beating hard for us anymore. More like on life support. When our devotion 
and dedication die down, we are capable of that which we think we are not. Let me say that again. When our devotion and dedication die down, we are capable of that which we think that we are not. It's the story of Peter. Brother Benedict, though all men deny thee, I'll never deny you. You know what Satan just says? He says, I don't need to get him off in gross sin. I just need to get him cold. Let's just get him cold. You wonder, you wonder if, if, if Satan had his old imps over there. He says, I'll bet you, bet you three souls. Bet you three souls I can get him to deny Christ by morning. Maybe it was a couple weeks before, Pastor, he had one of those charts up, 30-day charts, and he says, you know what? He said, by such and such a day, I'll guarantee you he's going to deny the Lord. I'll guarantee you. Why? Because I'm just going to cool off his devotion and dedication. I'm just going to cool that off just a little, by, a little at a time. I'm going I'm to get him to think that he's the greatest and that the, that, that the Lord's keeping him down. I'm going to get him to be overconfident in himself. And Listen, ladies and gentlemen, when our dedication and devotion dies down, we will do things that we convinced ourselves we would never do. Pastor, you and I know of pastors, men of God, preached the Bible, loved him, who've committed adultery on their wives and lost their entire ministries. Miss Peggy, I'm sure there was a day where they said, I will never do that. What happened? Oh, it didn't just, listen, didn't just happen. Nobody falls into, no, no, nobody falls off the cliff of sin. We slide off, slide down the hill. Just a little at a time. I'm told there's a place in Stone Mountain, Georgia, where you can go out and look out over Stone Mountain, Georgia. But there's one spot, Brother Ray, where it says, point of no return. Meaning, if you step over that line, gravity is going to pull you down. Most of us say, I will never step over that line. But if our dedication and devotion gets cold, we will. Amen. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. No matter what we convince ourselves of, the facts are the facts. Peter said, I'll never deny you. Same chapter. Denied him three times. And you know what? Last time I checked, we're all made of the same stuff. And all God's people said. So just a few applications. Good intentions do not always produce good endings. The battle is spiritual. Beware of self-confidence versus Savior confidence. When we follow at a distance, we become cold. When our devotion and dedication die down, we are capable of that which we think we are not. And then lastly, lastly tonight, the agony of defeat. I'm going to quote Winston Churchill. Success is not final Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. It's a great quote. Every one of us needs to have that quote somewhere, right in the flyleaf of your Bible, right, right in the margin. Let me give it again. Success is not final. 
Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. I'm thankful that John, especially Luke 22, is not the end of Peter's story. I'm thankful that John chapter 21, when he quit the ministry, is not the end of Peter's story. I'm thankful for the book of Acts. In chapter 2, when all these people came together, and Peter rose up and began to preach, and every man heard in his own tongue, and 3,000 people got saved, baptized, and started the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. Amen? Why? Well, success isn't final. You think, well, I've succeeded. Well, the devil loved to take that success and use it against you and get you to fail. But failure's not fatal. Got it. Listen, if you've failed God, and I think by our testimony tonight, we all have, we've got to keep going. Forgive me, we've got to, got to dust off. And by the way, before we dust off, while we're on our knees, might be a good idea to look up. Say, Lord, I'm here because of me. Would you please forgive me? Not trusting you, not depending on you, trying to fight a spiritual battle with carnal weapons. I heard the story years ago about Martin Luther. Martin Luther wasn't perfect. He was a Lutheran. The Lutheran, amen, <laughs> okay? But he came out of the Catholic Church and, you know, nailed his 95 thesis on the wall. And Pastor, I, I heard the story of Martin Luther being in his study and being so conscious of the presence of the devil that he literally took an ink bottle, Miss Jackie, and he hurled it against the wall at the devil. Listen, you do not defeat the devil by hurling ink bottles at walls. Defeat the devil through prayer. Putting on the whole armor of God. Huh? Amen? Reaching other people for him. and Boy, listen. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue on the count. Listen, if you failed God, dust off. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. You know what the dis difference between success and failure is? Getting up one more time than you fail. That's success. Staying down, that's a failure. The agony of defeat. Father, thank you for your goodness, your blessing. Thank you for the word of God tonight. Lord, I pray that this simple message tonight would be a help to somebody, somebody that's struggling perhaps with defeat in their own lives, perhaps a habit that they're wrestling with. Lord, I don't know, but you know. I pray that you'd please bless. Bless each one as only you can. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And just whenever you get to it, Miss Rebecca, you just go ahead and start playing.